not bow down to our racism. We will not bow down to injustice. We will not bow down to exploitation. I'm gonna Welcome to this week's episode of RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania, heard every Wednesday at 11 a.m. right here on WRIRLP 97.3 FM Richmond Independent Radio. Today we have a very, very special episode for you. It is a crossover episode with our sister show, Race Capital. Fran and I were involved with Chelsea in an HBCU fellowship over the past few months since the whole... Northam Black, is he in blackface? Is he in KKK hood? Um, Or is he the guy in the background in the picture? Who knows? Because, you know, facial recognition can't catch you under that hood. We're actually here to focus on the fellows, the scholars that joined up with us uh, in this endeavor. And up next, you'll actually hear their individual interviews. But first, we thought we'd discuss a little bit about our involvement and how this came about. Not to be super redundant, because of course you listened to Race Capital first. Thank you. I know you all did, so Look, thanks who, for tuning and in. And who is this? Oh, hey, it's, it's the host of Race Capital. Chelsea Higgs-Wise. All right. Hey, y'all. We'll get into that right now. Yes. Brian. Thank you all for listening and tuning in. This fellowship kind of took place out of so many feelings like, OMG, what do I do now? Because the whole month of February, <laughs> basically, the whole month, the whole month of February. <laughs> I mean, it was all 28 days. I, I'm, I'm totally starting to believe as I go back hindsight, it was planned. They just mm. stole Black History Month. And they made it Blackface History Month. They <laughs> right? made it Blackface History Month. They stole it. But anyway, oh my gosh. You know, the give whole, it back. I know. I'm t- it's going to be Black History Month till Juneteenth, bitch. It's Black History Month all year. Okay? Claim the rest of the year. It's my, my I mean, whole you, year. Okay? You kind of have to after this, right? Yeah, because I mean, I'm black every day. So, hello. I'm sure we weren't alone, but people were just kind of shocked. Like, what do we do? Like, I don't know what to do with myself. People, a lot of people, especially, I know I did as um, a voter who voted for Northam and looked at what was happening and how this was all unfolding. And I felt just portrayed and just hoodwinked and fooled through this process and then because you know he's not eligible for re-election you can't dangle that right that political carrot oh we'll get him back at the the voter box re-election yeah well you can't because he's done basically with that something that we'll hear from the fellows talking about later too is that they did go and try to do the investigation to see if that was him or not right because in february he was still trying to deny it right right and now that there's been this investigation out there too it's inconclusive so it's it's this trauma which we have which we have all kinds of words about but okay (laughs) and you should listen to yes municipal manias episode from last week yes to find and listen to that this experience was really just something that I think we all needed in a moment where we were just like what in the world is happening how can we pour in to something positive and to the next generation something that we know is needed and talked about and create a constructive conversation right. that it was really structured around educating not only other people but ourselves on what's constructive movement right now in response to this we're out every day protesting we're out I mean night and day mm. it just consumed our whole lives I don't think I ate for like a week I mean it was just so much going on just every single day of February it was kind of like well what do we do because we can't just keep you know we're spinning our wheels basically with him not responding not taking meetings with people who are actually giving him constructive Mm -hmm. uh, things to do it's all basically lip service at this point how do we have a greater conversation about what this is how this could have happened and really what culture embraces this like where did this come from because he's not the only person I felt like we didn't even need this fellowship to to show just how prevalent it is in not just yearbooks from the past, from 83. We don't have to go to the 80s mm-hmm. to find it. We can look in yearbooks, high school and college yearbooks from right now that have these types of images and this type of ideology that's joked about. Right. It's the overall narrative of it. Even if it's not someone in blackface, yeah. it's the, re- the reading against the grain. It's the, mm-hmm. the overall narrative that is painted throughout the different pages and the words, like yep. the creative almost art form yeah. that that uh, our culture has been able to just manifest and maintain mm-hmm. and so not be checked on it's it, right. not, that's the thing the fact that it's not just one 
or two yearbooks or maybe even a certain geographical area in Virginia or a particular type of thing, you know, like school or mm-hmm. high school or college or, I mean, we had a medical school. There's schools in Richmond that had a whole, I mean, just all kinds of stuff. So yeah. it's more about the conversation. Now, that was, I think, where this can't really came from organically, like yeah, we, actually, positive something. Something literally was when uh, Mark Herring came out and mm-hmm. admitted that he too... <sighs> Uh, put black shoe polish on his face and participated in the actions of intimidating a black person for white entertainment because it's that prevalent because it's that prevalent and that was like literally standing on the capitol it was like all right we want to do something we got together and we didn't just want it to be sit in front of a computer sit in front of yearbooks and go we wanted to have that real authentic conversation Mm -hmm. process through the feelings and that's why we decided to do a fellowship not just a workforce program at 25 dollars an hour right and it was geared towards hbcu students because one of the asks that we had as a group as a collective to kind of push Ralph Northam to do something restorative through this process was to, you know, find more funding for HBCUs and better support these schools because they have such historical value and they're there for a reason. For this reason. Why we're standing here. Exactly. Exactly. And so let's bring some restoration to that particular place and space. And so that's why we chose HBCU students in the Richmond area to try to do this because that sent the message that we were trying to articulate that he couldn't hear because he was too busy trying right. to moonwalk. So as usual, women will do this. Black <laughs> women will do this. We raised the funds. We created spaces so we saw these scholars and fellows about once a week. We made sure that they were fed every single time because making that space, understanding that they are college students mm-hmm. and what that means. And also just making them comfortable as we have these really uncomfortable conversations. That was yeah. the part of the intentionality of us creating the space as well. Not just sit them down and we're... And Expose them to trauma exactly right feed the soul feed the belly yeah right and and also we're gonna get through this together yeah we're gonna also have some breakout to talk about what we've seen what's what what you're dealing with how does this feel and how do we move past this because this is something that if we continue to ignore it the ptsd will continue exactly Mm -hmm. and we didn't just take the yearbooks and go we really partnered with university of richmond race and racism project they have a archiving manual that they were given they were giving tools and able to really understand and how to document what they're seeing as well and they were um, able to watch different documentaries about higher and higher educational spaces how back black bodies and black images have been exploited as well as ethnic notions and learning more about these minstrel shows that have taken place and a lot of folks did not understand how offensive it was for ralph northam to admit to the michael jackson piece because you basically just admitted to performing in a minstrel show and because Mm -hmm. we don't have that conversation we don't say that term and our history books during even during our February Black History Month normal we don't Bingo. we don't hear these lessons so we are again continuing to teach our own and pour back into these spaces and show the value of HBCUs too because let's be honest HBCUs are not valued even in black spaces right. many times right? right and so understanding how important that space is and the care and the trauma that you don't have to go through at a PWI and even during this experience when we were talking to media and things there were major national media sources that when I said the term PWI they didn't even know what that was. That's crazy to me. But you're so privileged, you don't even realize that there is a whole name for you because, yes, there are different spaces at different types of universities. Because we needed them. <laughs> Literally needed them. Literally. So it, it, this was such an educational wake up, not just a formal education, just a cultural education. Right. We really planned this out. And also self-reflection. Oh, uh, yeah. A lot of the girls kind of went through their process, which you'll hear um, in the next segment one-on-one. But as a group, we actually talked about, you know, what did this project teach you about yourself and the institution that you go to? And of course, in our mind, we were expecting a lot of the things we just talked about. The girls were like, well, one thing that stood out is the fact that we can't even go look at our yearbooks because this is a funding issue. Right. They just don't have a staff there to make it accessible to do it. Yeah. Yeah. All that takes money. You know, imagine you have this type of horrendous stuff being preserved and using money to do this. And here we are doing what we do and supporting a a whole demographic of people because it was absolutely necessary and needed. And we don't have this type of preservation of even our history, much less nonsense. Uh, Nonsense. We can't even preserve it because we we lack funding. Well, if you notice HBCUs that are privately owned, they have digital archives, but those that are publicly funded by the state, they don't. Mm -hmm. So there's this discrepancy and inequity in our education and even the higher learning. And because like Fran said, that was something during February that we 
wanted to very much target on to Governor Ralph Northam. That's we wanted to also put our money where our mouth was, yep. right? And yep. and do the work and show that this is even on a smaller scale. This is what's important right now. We need to get that message to our Governor Coon man as oh god. <laughs> as possible. <laughs> these are our future leaders. Y'all will hear, and you probably heard in the first hour, that these young women are engaged. Yes. One of them are, is a freshman, and you'll hear, she can't even vote yet. She is 17 <laughs> years old, and she probably knows more about you know civic engagement and this yeah. type of history than many grown folks. It was just such a pleasure to be able to work with them over the last yes. eight weeks. And they call it's us their research women. mamas. Like This is a whole family that they've built in a network they mm -hmm. didn't have, or maybe they were looking for... Expanded, anyway. It, it did. So... It was really amazing to educate ourselves and kind of grow with them too, oh, yeah. you know, because they weren't just finding racism against black people. Right. They were finding very subtle layers of racism that they actually didn't even know really existed. And, and sexism. And sexism. And it was just mind blowing. The, the sexism involved in even in women's college yeah. yearbooks yeah. was mind blowing to them as well to us. They learned about what I call aesthetic appropriation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where women in the 20s were really interested in anything that was exotic to them, you know, and they yeah. wanted to wear it. Yeah. They yeah. wanted to put it all over their walls. Right. Yeah. And so they took things from Asia, from the South Pacific, mm -hmm. and they made clothes out of it. They made drapes out of it. They made, you know, knickknacks for their house out of it. They also drew themselves in this garb and <laughs> put themselves in the yearbook. Right. Those when they had zero representation of those cultures that they At were the appropriating. <laughs> you might not think of fashion as appropriation. But it very, oh, much, but it very is. much is. They learned about that as well. And I just really, that was an interesting process to go through when you're just going through these yearbooks and they're like, Melissa, is this, is this racist? And there's a depiction, an illustration of a white lady in a kimono yeah. for the faculty. And then you open the faculty and do you see an Asian person in Nowhere. the bunch? Nowhere. Not a one. Not one. Representations of Glee Club or whatever. They're totally different cultures. Yeah. And you go in there and you don't see a lick and you're thinking, well, what does that have to do with anything? It was also just noticing how often we don't question ourselves when we see something Hi? or read something. And so they would come to us because like, is this racist? Is this? I think it is. Well, if you think it is. It probably is. It probably is. Don't but, second guess yourself. But if that's but, but feels that like that literally inside. is how right. but that literally is how black people have kind of self-taught ourselves to deal with these daily consistent pieces of overt and covert racism and it's kind of like well most likely than not it probably is racist but i mean when it happens 12 times a day what do you do right how do you survive unless you just give it a pass like, you gotta you learn do? right what do you do? start talking about apologies and and when people ask why he's still in office, it's because, especially here in Old Virginia, yeah. this is how we've been conditioned yeah. in order to keep going. And how did it make y'all feel, too, when they said that researching this at their school, oh, at their yeah. HBCU, that they almost felt like they had to hide it because yeah, yeah. people walking behind them while they were looking at these were images. Yeah, were like, what are you doing? Or it would just make them super uncomfortable. And they, well, what, what one of the girls said, she said, I I knew why I was doing this uh, research and I totally understood it and I was all for it. She said, but I didn't realize how much of a safe space my school was until I started realizing what it was to be researching this and where I was researching it I absolutely positively need this safe space and the the reminders the, the references yeah the being here because thank god that I go to an HBCU right and I can't imagine what it feels like to be a person of color at any of these schools at any of these times during these books that we're looking at and even researching those books on campus is like it's almost tainting their safe space yeah, so exactly. they wanted to get off campus yeah. to 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 do this work because right Everywhere off HBCU space is white space, right? Like, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Unless it is a black space, it is a white space. So right. I'm just so thankful for you all right here with all this. And and thank you for including us in it as well. Because it's an awesome experience. It really has been. And um, knowing these women is so special. I know. Right. I just can't where wait to go. see where they go because they are so dynamic. Right. Yes. And Everyone's no, going to be I'm, really excited to yeah. listen to these interviews and get to know these scholars a little bit better. These yep. women are not going away. Nope, we're going to see uh, them again. All right, any last thoughts before we head right into these interviews? I think these women say it all. Um, I'm Brianna Harris, a senior political science major at Virginia State University. I'm from Richmond, Virginia. Minor in Spanish as well at VSU. What 
has been your political involvement prior to February of this year? Pretty local, I'd say, mostly involved in education reform. Locally with Petersburg? or um, Petersburg, local? and um, so I'm originally from like Hanover, so that area as well. Pretty, I would say in Richmond in general, I've worked with a few schools. How did you get involved with politics? I'd say when Trayvon Mountain happened, I probably was in like middle school. Mm-hmm. And that was the first thing that really sparked my interest in politics because um, a lot of things like that happen when there's not people making proper decisions for our communities. Just the idea of, or I wanted to have a say in making decisions. And my mom always told me, you know, if you want to have a say, you need to get involved in making the say or making the law. So that kind of that kind of inspiration. Where were you and what were you doing on February 1st when the Ralph Northam Your Book picture came out? So I'm pretty certain I was like in class. I saw it when I was on Twitter. Funnily enough, it was like all over Twitter. And I was like, oh my gosh, what's going on? So when I finally looked it up, I was like, oh, wow, like that's insane. I cannot believe Ralph Northam was a part of that type of thing. What were your perspectives of Governor Ralph Northam before February 1st? Pretty positive. I, I liked his, I liked a lot of his platforms. So I had a pretty positive perception of him before. Could I ask if he earned your vote in 2017? Yes. He did. What about your perceptions February 1st and after? Well, more so along the lines of betrayal, kind of two-faced type of thing because who he said he was was different than what his actions said he was even if it did happen in the past if you were a changed person and those weren't really your sentiments I would expect you to be forthcoming of the things that you've done and transparent of the things you've done so the fact that he wasn't and then had the audacity to even say that it was him and then it wasn't him and then all of his behavior surrounding the initial outbreak of the story was definitely did not leave a good taste in my mouth because it was just like you know if, if you got caught at the very least you could do is be honest about it mm-hmm. even if they say now that the investigation is inconclusive I still my feelings are, are pretty much still the same what do you think some of the resistance has been around this transparency of history and racism within a lot of our higher education institutions so you're saying like from the institutions their inability to be transparent yep Okay, um, so I would say uh, part of the reason is probably because you know that you're doing the wrong thing um, and it's embarrassing to be caught doing the wrong thing. Kind of hiding it, I think, is the easy way out. A lot of people, a lot of times people will try and take the easiest way out of a situation instead of doing the right thing, which is not always easiest. So I'm, I, I definitely think that the embarrassing portion of how history can have an effect on higher institutions and even people who are in, who are in um public positions and leadership is part of the reason why it's so, and we see so often how easy it is for them to try to hide or not allow full access to things because it can, it's an embarrassing past when you're doing the wrong thing and you know you're doing the wrong thing. What was your personal buy-in to this research fellowship when it was offered to you? And how was it offered to you? Um, well, it was offered to me through my great professor, Dr. Wes Bellamy. He um, shot us all a, a quick text or I think it might've been a group me um, just to be like, you know, here's a a new opportunity, a new experience you can partake in. If you want to do it, you know, reach out. As a college student, you always need more experience. The ability to be able to participate in something, not only that was going to be beneficial for me, but was surrounding circumstances that were at the time so important for Richmond area in particular was definitely a a draw. So I was very excited to do that. My personal buy-in, I'd say just one, the, the, idea of being able to increase my knowledge and skill set on archiving and researching, but also the ability to be able to educate people who at times can be ignorant to certain things or just completely unknowledgeable about certain things. What made you choose an HBCU if your other educational experiences seem to be very predominantly white education? Well, because partially because of, you know, the blatant racism wasn't even the worst parts of it. It's the microaggressive things that really get the best of you. The little bits here and there, the the slick comments, and sometimes just even the plain ignorance. It gets old and it gets tiring to have to constantly explain why you shouldn't be saying certain things to me or you shouldn't be participating in certain behaviors around me or even in personal life. So just the idea of being able to kind of just be black and be and be, you know, fine. I have to explain being black was like the biggest draw for me. And my family all went to HBCUs and I see how how strong and independent and educated that they are. So it, it was even more important to me to be a part of HBCU. Emotionally, how has this process been for you? And what has this space of the fellowship been able 
to do for you? Um, emotionally, finding the pictures, at first I thought it was going to be mostly negative emotions, but it turned out to be kind of positive because finding more research was able to to prove what I already knew, but it, you know, it gives you physical proof. So when you're talking to people, you can say, I, I felt almost excited to find more and more pieces of imagery because it's this is actual proof that I can give to someone. So there's no way you can shut me, you know, shut me down or say that it's only this one time happening. Emotionally, and when I thought it was going to be negative, it was pretty positive because I was able to actually find stuff and be able to document stuff that's important to um, our history. As far as the fellowships environment, very positive in a very a, a space where I could really learn and be productive and build up my skill set. And personally, how will you take this experience, the tools that you've learned and use them going forward? What can we expect to see from Brianna? Um, hopefully you can expect to see me in some sort of conference presenting this information, but most importantly, spreading it with um, my younger peers who are in high schools and even in spaces like I was that are predominantly white, being able to give younger people the information and tools they, they need to make an educated decision on where they're going to continue their education if they are, um, and also just the ability to inspire and hopefully encourage younger people to really do the research that they need to do about their their history that they're not being taught in their actual school setting. Thanks for the opportunity. It's been really great. I I hope that this is something that around the country can be done, um, not just here. And I'm sure I'm sure people have definitely taken the initiative to do things like this before. But just continuing this type of research is really really important, especially with Black youth. Yes, certainly. And how can people follow you, Bree, to follow your story? Yeah, um, you can follow me through Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. My Instagram name is like at underscore b e j h. You can follow me on Insta and Twitter should be the same thing at underscore B-E-J-H. So, yeah. And Facebook is just Brianna Harris. Thanks so much, Brianna. My name is Michaela Walker. I am a now sophomore political science major and business manager minor and public administration minor at Virginia State University. I am from Woodbridge, Virginia. You were our only freshman of the Mm -hmm. group. Talk a little bit about your political involvement prior to day one of Black History Month. I interned at the General Assembly, and I I was actually interned at the General Assembly at the time, um, of, and I worked with the Democratic Committee in my local, um, in my hometown, Prince William County, and that's about it. Were you a fan or a supporter of the 2017 Democratic ticket here in Virginia with Ralph Northam, Justin Fairfax, and Mark Herring? I'm not going to lie. I did a little bit of research on all of them, but at the time, I wasn't old enough. To, I'm still not old enough to vote. I really didn't spend too much time really doing research on any of them. You said you're still not old enough to vote. Still 17. I will be able to vote on the November ticket. I turn 18 in August, but as of now, I can't. <laughs> but you are still involved. Yeah, definitely. I'm definitely still involved. I, um, I'm actually currently interning, working on campaigns in um, Prince William County. So like local campaigns up there. While you were working on February 1st and the pictures came out, what was your first reaction to that? And where were you? What were you doing? My mom watches a lot of CNN. I didn't hear about it until I call, I talked to my mom every night. We talked like later that night and she was like, did you hear about this? This happened. I know you're political science. You like this type of stuff. And she was telling me about it. I was like, oh, I was just in my bed. Like, I wasn't surprised. I was like, oh, wow, really? And then I did more research on it. Yeah, the more research I did, I was, I kind of realized I don't think I was 100% surprised. But it was also just interesting to me that, like, that it was happening. Why weren't you surprised? When I see this type of stuff, because I've seen it happen so much, it doesn't surprise me at all because I've seen politicians get taken down or get in a whole bunch of types of scandals, whether it's racism or anything else. It doesn't necessarily surprise me because I got to remember that everybody has like a past or something like that. Did it change anything for you with our governor when you saw that? Yeah, it did. It definitely made me a lot more skeptical about his past legislations that he's put out, especially if it affects black people and current legislation as far as anything that might affect black people, specifically because it's like, what are your intentions? What are your past intentions? Do you have like racist intentions to like that? And your future um, intentions, like, are you just doing something just to try to get the black vote back? Are you trying to make up for what you did? Just recently, the investigation came back of the yearbook photo and it was inconclusive. Yeah. I 
kept up with that. I, I was just very disappointed that it came back inconclusive. I feel like that it may have been a cover-up or something like that. Like, somebody's trying to get rid of it, so they're just going to say it's inconclusive, even though it most likely was him because he, one, admitted to it, and two, he later um, recanted and said he didn't do it. But And three, his nickname was Coon Man. Sorry. That, too, yeah. I just <laughs> want to put that out there, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, too. So, it's... I feel like if he didn't do it this time, like if it really wasn't him in that picture, I feel like there is some picture out there of him doing something or some video or something of him doing blackface or something like that. So Moonwalking. Yep. Your book, Minstrel Show, probably. So how did you find out about this fellowship opportunity? Like everybody else, Dr. West Bellamy. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Dr. West Bellamy. This must um, be a happening group chat. Yep. Yes. <laughs> happen. He's always he's he's always dropping the tea about um like internships and like opportunities like this. And it was really funny because what he told us it was from jump was not what we thought it was. He said, Come in, bring your laptop, you'll get paid for like an hour to do research. It ended up being a whole project, and it was crazy because it wasn't what we expected at all. Well, and to be totally honest, myself and RVA Dirt were like, let's just raise some money and create an opportunity and some space. So, yeah, and I'm glad you guys did that because it it um it, it gave us a voice as the um HBCU students to do this type of research like that. Thank you for that, and thank you for being part of this. So, throughout this experience, what was some of just the hardest moments? Some things that stuck out to you particularly, and you really looked at the high school yearbooks mostly, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was really hard to see just high schoolers participating in racism because I mean it's one thing for an adult to do it, but I, I think it hits a little bit different when you see somebody as young as like actually my age because like I said I'm 17 Mm -hmm. so they're still my age um somebody as young as like 14 15 16 in blackface or something like that and it's just like that's how you that's how you know it's kind of it probably is ingrained in them at a young age and they just think it's acceptable and that's extremely disheartening it like it's extremely disheartening to me just because I it it just it, it goes to show that some people are literally taught this as a child and it's mm-hmm. crazy. How will this experience of what you've seen personally impact your work moving forward? And what can we expect from Michaela? You're only 17, which <laughs> I say only with the word of like so much you can still do and have the potential to do. Yeah, I am definitely because of this. I, I've always been really interested in black history. Like I've always been the type to just look up black history facts just because like I have a whole wall with like quotes and stuff like that on my room like so with this I believe I will try to do a lot more digging because I've learned black history isn't just about the good things it's not just about um people somebody a black person invented this it's not just about I don't know it's not it's not just about the good like there's some things that there's a lot I learned a lot more about black history in this experience that like things I would have never thought about even researching looking up or something like that um so yeah I think that this this definitely taught me what to research and stuff like that what can we expect from you in the future to do a lot more research and to definitely educate my peers Mm. um of all races about what I learned um about black people about about the black experience all that stuff because not a lot of people understand it, um, and I feel like if they understand it, if they're knowledgeable about it and stuff like that, then maybe we won't have a lot of issues with um, minorities in this um, in this country. Anything in particular, since you have the longest time left at VSU throughout the cohort, anything that you want to influence on your own campus? I definitely, I definitely want to encourage my peers to once again do a lot more research on um, Black history, but it's also politics, because I know for me, uh, political science is definitely like um, like the laughing stock major at school, and it's crazy because it's like they think oh you just want to be like they don't know what you want to do or what mm. you like like you want to either do law or you want to be a politician, but you're probably gonna be corrupt or something like that. I don't know. I don't know why, but it doesn't really get a lot of credit. So um, I definitely want my fellow peers to learn more about the political science major, but also learn just about politics in general. Learn how important it is to know that type of stuff and know that you don't have to be a political science major to know about politics get involved in your community that type of stuff do you have any particular plans for upcoming elections or candidates or anything to be involved in i i'm working on campaigns um in in my current internship i'm working on campaigns in prince william county 
I'm going to do my own research on all the candidates and find out my own information so that I won't have to rely on CNN or something like that to tell me the news. I can find my own um, voice when it comes to politicians and stuff like that and then make my own educated decision on how I react to them. But I want to say that this is this was a great project, a great opportunity, and I thank you, Fran, Melissa, and everybody else for um, for bringing this opportunity to us. And I just want to say that we need to, like I said, do more research, get educated, get involved, that type of stuff, get involved in our communities, take back our communities, and just learn. To the governor, I want to say take accountability. I want him to take accountability because he didn't resign, so I definitely need him to take accountability and show us that you are directly trying to make up for what you did. Oh, and lastly, I want to say um, this is not the last time that you guys will see me. I will definitely be doing a lot more in the future, so look out for me. I'm super excited about that. And how can people look out for you and follow your story? My, my inst- I have an Instagram and a Snapchat. My Instagram is M-E-I Will, like W-I-L-L and then Shine, S-H-I-N-E. So that's my Instagram. I don't really post much on my Instagram. And then I have my Snapchat, where I, which I'm usually active on. Um, and that is T-S-H-I-R-T-S underscore R-U. So T-shirts underscore R-U. That's my Snapchat. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Daisha Smith. Hey, Daisha. Hey, Chelsea. Thanks for being here. Tell the listeners, what school do you attend right now? I attend Virginia State University. I'm an honor student. Yes, honor. <laughs> I'm a major in political science with a minor in sociology. What year? I'm a junior. Junior. I'm about to go into my senior year coming this fall. If people want to follow you or get in touch with you, how could they do that? My Instagram is life as Daisha with two A's at the end. That's the same for everything. <laughs> That's the same for everything. Okay, great. What was your first reactions to February 1st when the yearbook pictures came out of Governor Ralph Northam, the Klan outfit, blackface? Where were you and what were your first reactions? Well, first I was um, actually at home. I remember that my phone was going off and I have a group me mm-hmm. with like all my class and it was just like blowing up. And then I was like, okay, First, I was trying to, I was trying to like, okay, I'll wait a minute and do my homework, and then I'll look at it. But then it kept like ringing off. So then I was like, let me take a look at it. And it was the people, uh, my classmates, and my professor had put it in our gr- group chat and said, be prepared to come Tuesday and talk about it. Mm-hmm. And then as I started reading the article, and it had like the um, black face of Ralph Northam, I was like, wow, this is really crazy. Especially because the year before he was running for office, I was over there getting the students of my class to come and vote for him. And we're signing them up for voters registration, endorsing his campaign. So Mm. that was really, really like different and shocking. I was like, wow. So you did. You organized for Ralph. Yes. Gathered up people, registered the sign, said you should vote for him. Yes. And we handed out um, pamphlets of the whole Democratic Party and who was running and this is how you vote if you're not sure. It was really um, different, especially because not because he did it, but just of like how I would have to explain this to like some of the people I like introduced him to and like told them to vote for him. They trusted me. So it was really different. Studying political science, we often um, look at how elections are run and like the distrust, especially within African American, especially within my age, from you know people from 18 to like 30, yeah. they're not showing up. So once I was studying that in school, I was trying to bridge the gap and trying to get them to participate as much as possible. And on February 1, the group me starts going off and you're looking at it and you're like, wow, I stuck my neck out for this candidate. The first time you're out there, do you mind me asking how old you are, Deja? I'm 21 now, so the time of his election, I was 19 or 20, mm-hmm. I believe. So really just starting to get active. Yes. So he was elected in 2017. You were really excited about that. Yes. You are organizing for the campaign. You're gathering others to have their voices heard. You're feeling receptive. Your candidate wins. Over the next year, how are you feeling about Ralph Northam, Justin Fairfax, and Mark Herring and the job that they're doing? They were normal. They weren't doing anything, like, outstanding. <laughs> so February 1st, this comes out. The group me is going crazy. You're starting to reflect back on all the work that you did. 
What were the next couple weeks like for you and your colleagues over at VSU? Well, the next couple weeks were confusing. A lot of the kids, they wanted to answer and they didn't really understand like, oh, how could he do something like this? And why didn't it come out earlier? That was one of the big questions. And then when he did the press conference, because that happened before we had class two, Mm -hmm. and then that really decided, like, that really made a lot of the students mad because it's like you're laughing about it and you're not really taking it serious. How did you get exposed to this HBCU yearbook project? My professor, he usually oftentimes in our um, class chat would throw out opportunities, and he was like, do you guys want to do research and it's paid? I was going to do it for the research mm-hmm. um, originally. And I was like, oh, you get paid too. So that's also a plus. So mm-hmm. I was like, sign me up. We really didn't know exactly what it was. Yeah. But I know that I needed um, research um, experience. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'll be working on come this year for my senior year. So I wanted to build upon that. What are some of your reflections as you've been doing the research? And specifically, you focused on the Hollins yearbooks too, right? Yes. Well, I decided to look more into the Hollins University's um, yearbook because I wanted, I was more fascinated to see how the women were subject to um, demonstrating racism, Mm -hmm. considering that how women weren't allowed into certain spaces and would it be different and would would there be less racism considering that they were looked down upon also. When I started looking at the, um, Holland's College, something that stood out to me the most was um, the image of, well, they dedicated like a chapter and it was by itself. Mm -hmm. And it was talking about how a black man should treat a Holland's female. Mm. And it was like going into detail. That was really interesting. I was like, wow, that's. um, Do you remember some of the things that they were talking about? Oh, basically how he should take off his hat towards her or if he does not take off his hat she she should um not subject to herself to someone like so low it was also interesting to see that it wasn't subject alone to african americans mm. it was also had um culture appropriation towards um asians okay which was really interesting cuz you will see um a lot of the geishas outfits and it was like labeled the glee club Mm-hmm. They didn't have no Asian representation within mm-hmm. the students. We had opportunities to meet as a group, and then you all also did the research in your own time. How was that doing that alone, and how did you work that out, just emotionally seeing some of these images? I'll do it in the open blocks I have before classes, mm-hmm. and then I had classes with um, a lot of my colleagues with like Erica mm-hmm. and Janice and I was like oh my gosh look at this and then we were, she was like look what I found mm-hmm. so it was like going back and forth so did it feel normal to have that type of exposure to this type of harmful images in your own world well it didn't feel like normal like seeing the images because they were like really absurd but it did like inspire me to um actually take a trip to study abroad because I wanted to learn um, a different culture. I didn't want to, um, I want to appreciate it, not appropriate it. Mm-hmm. I wanted to put myself in a different shoes. I could say that the yearbook project has helped me with that. I actually want to learn from people and mm-hmm. not try to um, appropriate their culture or um, look down upon or speak badly about it. I want to wrap up and ask you, what do you think the governor should do moving forward for Virginia? Well, first, I would like to see, like, ownership. Mm. Like, just say if you did it or not at this point because it's already out there, so you might as well own it and just say if you did it and if you did, apologize and understand what it actually means and if you didn't, just move on Mm -hmm. um, about your day. But I think ownership is really important. And what can we expect from you, Ms. Deja, moving forward? And after you've gotten this research, uh, skills underneath your belt, learning how to archive, learning where to look digitally, how does this inform you moving forward? Well, one, I'm going to start looking up every candidate. (laughs) (laughs) I want to actually be able to trust um, the person and for it to be genuine. I also plan on taking a lot more um, 
study abroad trips Mm -hmm. to learn from different cultures. So I'm not just limited to African-American, but a lot of people around me. Mm -hmm. And finishing college strong and going to law school. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Deja. Thank you. My name is Erica Neal. I am a senior at Virginia State University, majoring in political science with a minor in Spanish. And um, I'm 20 years old. I'm a native of Richmond, Virginia. So what was your political involvement prior to the first day of Blackface History Month 2019? My grandparents always watch CNN. They love calling them talking heads. So I've been (laughs) watching these talking heads since about five years old. Um, I didn't really start getting involved in politics until after the 2016 presidential election. That election had a really big impact um, on my educational career, on my career path in general, and um, so much to the point where I switched my major from graphic design to political science. And I've haven't looked back ever since. I really wanted to make a change in my community and I realized that the best way to do it wasn't through pen and paper, but through my voice. How active were you in 2017 with the state election of Ralph Northam, Justin Fairfax, and Mark Herring? Um, After I switched my major, I really became involved in the department. I started planning the, uh, I guess, the the voter registration block party that we had um, in September where we were out there educating uh, the campus on the upcoming 2017 gubernatorial election. Um, You know, our goal was to educate the campus on not just the Democratic candidates, but Republican because we're not strictly a Democratic campus Mm -hmm. and our department is not strictly Democratic. So we had games, we had pizza, that really brought people out. (laughs) Food. Um, Food. Um, And we just had a great time. It was a really great time of fellowship and Mm -hmm. that was like my first thing where I really got involved. So you were excited when Ralph Northam won. I was very excited. I thought that this was like, you know, the first step to change. Um, I remember the exact day of how the campus was when Trump was elected or the mm. day after. It was very gloomy. The I remember the cloud, it was just cloudy. It was foggy, sticky. It just, you didn't want to be there. That next day, you know, I really felt like I wanted to change something. And then I realized that every year there's an election. So there's still somewhat hope. Felt like there was still Hope. Somewhat hope. <laughs> and and you found that hope in your Democratic candidate in Virginia. I did. Thought, I sure did. How did you think Ralph was doing from the day he was sworn into office up until around February? You know, I felt like, you know, pretty average. I felt like Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax was doing more mm. than the governor. And maybe that was because I was paying more attention to him because because he was black. That could be the honest reality that, you know, he was pushing legislation that meant more to the black community than uh, Governor Ralph Northam. And now I can actually tell you exactly where I was when I heard about the whole blackface incident. Okay, I just finished or I was uh, currently interning at that time with Delegate Aired and the General Assembly. And um, when that whole incident came out, I remember I clocked out immediately. I was like, I gotta go, cause I ain't trying to get stuck in this traffic. I got homework, I got dinner to eat. And as soon as I made it back to campus, all hell broke loose from the press conference to, and that all started with the abortion bill that Delegate Tran introduced. Right. So I saw it all going downhill very quickly. And I was like, this is going to be one hell of a show. Excuse my French. but. <laughs> and what did you said the campus had some extra energy? What did that look like and feel like on Virginia State University's campus? So most of the campus, unfortunately, like didn't really know. But from the people that I interacted with, they did. Mm-hmm. And um, we talked about it in class, all of our classes, honestly. And it was it, was, it just couldn't be avoided, and it was really sickening, honestly, because the same person that you know I advocated for, that I put in my time for, that I put in my money for, um, is the same person that disrespects who I look, what I look like, and mm-hmm. doesn't appreciate me for what I am. Mm-hmm. So I was honestly very sick to my stomach. I didn't want to go to class. I didn't want to interact with a lot of people, but I still did my best to do so just because I have things I have to do. The recent investigation came back inconclusive on being able to determine who was in that photo Mm -hmm. that was placed on Ralph Northam's page in that yearbook. Does that change anything for you? No, it doesn't simply because of the press conference that happened afterwards. You know, Mm -hmm. anytime that anybody is 
told that okay well you did this and you didn't do it you automatically say no I didn't do it but he was just kind of like nonchalant he was joking about it he wasn't taking it seriously which led me to believe that even if he didn't do this he probably did something else that even though it wasn't photographed doesn't mean that he didn't do it my sentiments towards him are at this point um I hope he's learned his lesson I hope that a lot of people have learned their lesson about, you know, what you do in your past matters and the fact that you actively recruited black people to campaign for you to then not only a few years back disrespect them like that is sickening, to say the least. And to not take accountability for today. He definitely has some things that he needs to work out with himself before Mm. he can ever turn to look for another black vote, especially Mm. for me. So you think that he lost a lot of our trust? I think that he he did lose a lot of our trust and a lot of that trust can't be rebuilt because a lot of the community that he recruited from that really advocated for him hold trust to a really high standard. It's like if I recommend to you a hair salon and a girl does you dirty. You yep. ain't never going to trust a word that I say that comes out of my mouth, nor you're ever going to walk into that salon ever again. Right. So the same thing happens with this. Like, I told you that, you know, this person has X, Y, and Z plan for us, and he hasn't been doing it, nor has he not been doing it, but he also had no disrespect us. I'm not even going to waste my time this year. I'm not even going to bother at all this year. I'm done. Because now I don't even know who to trust. I can't even trust my own people. Wow. And that's a serious issue, especially as we move forward about who our candidates are, mm-hmm. right? And who's going to bring the trust out? Who's going to bring the vote out? How did you hear about this fellowship opportunity? Oh, my gosh. Um, I heard about it from Dr. Russ Bellamy. And I said I was interested, but it really took for, like for me to like really follow through. So I sought you out. I kind of stalked you a little you bit. You did. You did stalk <laughs> me a little bit. <laughs> kind of stalked you a little bit because I was really interested um, everybody in the department knows that research is my thing. I love everything about research from quantitative to qualitative to content analysis to regression. Like, that's my thing. I didn't know what kind of research we were doing, but I heard there were research and I was all in it. I didn't care if we were getting paid or not. I just wanted to be involved in something that I really loved. Um, I'm really glad that I talked to you because <laughs> I really loved you it. You did. The, the persistence was not lacking there. And I appreciate that you showing up. You definitely added to this cohort so much. So what are some of the personal takeaways or impacts that you felt during this experience of the fellowship? This is my first like real research family. Um, You guys mean so much to me. And I really hope that even though, you know, our graduation is coming up, that we can still like meet some more because you really added another, a whole other aspect to my life. I mean, we were doing, we were working on a project together, but doing our own thing at the same time. And that was like a beautiful harmony. Mm-hmm. And I really want to take that kind of collaboration and take it back with me when I go into different workspaces. I think that that's super important to have a different type of collaboration, one that works with the people that you're with. I definitely took away the main thing is just the idea of the importance of creating spaces. I think that's something that you really advocated for in making this. And I, did that myself by making my own business. So when you were looking through the yearbooks, was there a particular school or location in Virginia that really had your interest? Yeah. So I mainly looked at University of Richmond, um, the web for 1922, mm-hmm. uh, Jerry Tucker High School from 1955 and 1956, mm-hmm. and then Atley High School from 1992 to 1994. That's when my mom was in Atley High School. So gotcha. that's why <laughs> I took a particular interest in it. But University of Richmond piqued my interest because that's the school that I hope that I want to continue my education in um, after uh, Virginia State and I was, I've always grown up around it. I live five minutes down the street from University of Richmond. Right. My mom always took me to the track whenever we wanted to do track workouts. And it was one of the private schools that my grandmother, she was like a, a rival against. She works at Randolph-Macon. So she's always trying to find, you know, what are they doing to get those kids to pay so much money? Um, <laughs> so University of Richmond has been in my life for a while. I mean, how did that feel to know that that school is so close to home, but yet for such a long time, the mascot wasn't just the spider, right? It was also a Confederate spider. 
Oh. Well, fortunately, my parents made sure that I was very knowledgeable about Virginia history and mm-hmm. black history as well. So it didn't surprise me. What did surprise me, well, I wouldn't say surprise me, but I guess it just took me aback. Given like my slight, very mediocre art background, the images that I saw were mainly illustrations. Mm-hmm. So it still shakes me to my core to think that, you know, students who are, you know, paying that much intuition, who are living in dorms and going through the same or or a college experience that's different from mine, but nonetheless a college experience that's meant to expose you to other cultures, had the audacity to put pen to paper and draw these hateful, racist, appropriated images that hurt cultures, that hurt people to this day. It hurt definitely to know that that school admitted those kind of people. So looking towards your future... How is this experience going to inform your work? Well, so far, I've decided to make a business, um, and it's called Creating Your Crown. Its whole purpose is to create a space for women of color to come together and develop career development skills and equity, all while selflessly giving back. I learned from a young age that giving back without recognition is the best way of giving back. I still feel that way to this day. And it's really important that when you're building your legacy, that you reach back and give some of that legacy back to somebody else to give them a start. And even if you don't get recognition for it, it's okay to do that. I'm hoping that from this experience, one, I can learn to collaborate with other people. I'm so used to doing everything by myself. I feel like a lot of Black people can relate to that too, like having to build yourself up. Everybody who's talking about, oh, I had to build myself up from our bootstraps. No, we had to build ourselves up from our bootstraps. With no boots. With no boots, okay? No platform, no anything. We had to make the platform. Literally, we out here begging for money for this platform. Seriously. (laughs) I want to give the next generation a chance hopefully with this organization, when it spreads, that this can be used as a community to empower and to encourage and to provide support because it's definitely needed. And this initiative taught me that more than ever that we need each other. This whole team was Black women coming together in good spirits, ready to do some work. Well, it was amazing to have you, Erica. Any last words? First things first, uh, June 11th. Um, definitely got to get out of there and vote. I will say this till I'm blue in the face. And November 5th, please mark your calendars to those two dates and please educate yourself about these candidates. So definitely educate yourself. Go out and vote because your vote matters. Erica, if they wanted to follow you and get some more of this information, how could they do that? I have Instagram. It is... Erica with two A's, underscore Monique with two E's. Yeah, all you gotta do is follow me and I follow back. Thank you again for providing this platform, providing this space. I couldn't be more grateful for this experience. I couldn't be more grateful for all the women that worked on it. Brianna, Deja, Denise, Michaela. Love you guys. Love you too. (laughs) Um, And one thing I have to say to uh, Governor Northam, please take accountability for your actions. And that's the least that you can do at this point. I don't think you understand how deeply you hurt a lot of people that really advocated for you. And I think that it's time that you start by understanding, by owning up to what you did and by rectifying it with making sure that you push for policies that benefit the people that put you in office. And let's be real. We put you in office. Let's be real. Black women put (laughs) you in office. And while you're at it, put a black woman on your staff, please. Thank you. Thank you so much, Erica. Thank you so much. Introduce yourself for the people. Hi, my name is Janice Jefferson. I was born and raised in Manassas Park, Virginia. I am currently a rising junior at Virginia State University. I'm a political science major. Yet, not yet declared minor, but probably philosophy. Thank you so much for being here. So tell us a little bit about your political involvement prior to February 1st of this year. Well, my political involvement was mainly local and state, a little bit of national. Um, I did involvement with Petersburg when the midterm elections, I was helping local city councilmen campaign, canvas, all of that. Also in my hometown with our mayor races, I did campaigning and canvassing for that. My mother always had me somewhere political, so I helped at the Obama House in 08 when I was only eight years old. I was making phone calls with that. Um, Anything, basically, my mother took me to that was political, I was helping there. And then when I got older, high school, 
home. I did a lot of school board involvement and trying to get things changed there. And so mainly just local things. Were you involved at all in the 2017 election where we had the state election with Ralph Northam, Justin Fairfax, and Mark <clears throat> Herring? I was not. I wasn't involved in that one. Were you a supporter of that ticket? I was. I was completely fond of Ralph running and being on the ballot and him winning. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Use changed. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about that. What happened with February 1st? Okay. February 1st, I was definitely walking back to my dorm and somebody texted me. I don't remember who, but one of my friends, she texted me and she was like, Jay, did you see this? And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. And then I have all these people texting me and they're like, you see this? You know, you're politically involved. I'm like, what are y'all talking about? So then I look on it and I was like, Oh, man. Then we have our uh, class group chat. So our political science group chats are blowing up. Like, do y'all see this article? And so the first thing that came to my head was, honestly, I'm not surprised. Mm. You know, disappointed, but not surprised. Why aren't you? Why weren't you surprised? This happens all the time. And it the same time it doesn't happen yet we still know that the accusations and what's done in the darkness will come to the light so honestly it's not that you suspect it from somebody but it's like well we know how times were back then and who you are now isn't necessarily who you were back then but that doesn't make anything less inexcusable for the despicable acts that you committed you weren't surprised no (laughs) but did that change your perception of our governor in that moment Definitely. It definitely did change my perception because I felt like at that moment, it's like, all right, another one who's against us. And when I mean against us, I mean somebody who you sat here and did something that was degrading to the black community. And had it not come to light, you would have had no remorse about it. That was disappointing. With the newest investigation that came out that said it was inconclusive of being able to find out and identify who was in that picture, Does that change your perception at all from the February event? No, because he still didn't know if it was him or not. So rather you find it inconclusive or not, the fact that you even had to think about it, like, oh, was it me? That tells me that somewhere in the line, everything isn't clean. So no, it doesn't. Do you believe him? I don't have a clear answer on that. But will I be open-minded to it? Mm -hmm. Yes. Do I agree with it? No, but like they said, you can't prove it. But just like Bree was saying, it's your actions. So even if you said it wasn't me, all right, it wasn't you. So obviously you felt like there was nothing in your past that you have done that could even connect you to this. But the fact that you said, you know, it's me. Oh, wait, no, it's not me. It's like, all right, so you've done some shady stuff that you have to think about. Mm -hmm. So, no. So when he was saying that the only thing I did was the Michael Jackson performance, that was it. Was that something that made you feel any better? No, because it's like, what did you do then? So here's yet another thing, because that's another shady thing you're going to do. And then at the interview, you're going to try and do the moonwalk completely inappropriate. So that tells me that you don't take this as a serious matter, that this is a joke to you. So... Like, at that point, I was over it. I was like, okay, so right now you have an unidentified face. Then you're trying to moonwalk in the middle of a press conference where hundreds of thousands of Virginians who are black feel attacked because you've done something derogatory to their race and you have no remorse about what you've done. So how did you hear about the fellowship and what made you so interested in this research project? I heard about the fellowship through my professor, Dr. Wes Bellamy. What made me interested was I've always wanted to do research, but I've never really like had the opportunity. Like I've done a lot of political things on the other side, but you know, how you get these laws enacted and how you get this data is through research. So I'm like, okay, I want to go to the other side. Let's go behind the scenes. So that really interested me in perfecting what research could be and archiving and just learning a lot about it and being becoming more knowledgeable. So as you were diving into the, the research of the yearbooks, you all also were able to watch a documentary of Until the Well Runs Dry, Medicine and the Exploitation of Black Bodies that talked about Virginia Commonwealth University's history of using the black community's bodies in graveyards in order to do research for the medical industry. So VCU has a history, documented history, of digging up black graves in Richmond, Mm -hmm. as well as even possibly killing black people in the community when they were short on cadavers Mm -hmm. in order for the medical school to have bodies 
to dissect and to learn from. The idea here of learning wasn't just about yearbooks, right? It was about the institutions of higher education and the value of black lives. Yeah. How was all of this digested for you as a young black woman and in diving into this research? Diving into it, it just told me, it shows me back then how they felt then is the same way they feel now. That black lives aren't mad, that they don't matter, black lives aren't valued, that they feel that we can just be pushed to the side and that we're just another thing on an agenda like how dare they be ungrateful for these rights that do not benefit them to this biased, unjust system that is clearly against them when we took the chains off of them in slavery? How dare they? We mm -hmm. gave them the right to vote. How dare they? We gave you the equal housing opportunities. How dare they be so ungrateful after all these rights that are your natural human rights have liberated you, now you want to complain when this justice system is just unjust as when the first African slave was brought over in 1619. Mm -hmm. So to me, it just showed me this solidifies what America thinks of its black men and women who are here by force. I was not, my ancestors did not choose to come over here. And so to me, it solidifies our unjust systems that a black body can be killed, seen by the governor and the man who killed him be pardoned, the whole school be pardoned mm -hmm. and nobody cares. And why are we using black bodies? Because nobody cares. Mm. So it just shows me that America doesn't care about us. And each generation, it's just showed in a different way. What kind of things did you see that personally affected you during the research? Yikes. Um, this was tough for me personally because I'm very passionate about my people and I'm very passionate about politics and just going about it I felt like at first I was like okay cool you know I'm just exposing racism which is really much done on the daily but the shock of how it was done and the fact that this was acceptable to put this in your yearbook something that was public something that anybody could buy something that was advertised you put these despicable images and quotes and just complete disrespect to black people and black Americans in this yearbook and there was not a care in the world because it was okay. Mm -hmm. It was acceptable. Socially, that was the standard. To have a black person in your yearbook, okay, well, why is he in the yearbook? Oh, well, he's a janitor. Because no way would we have a black person in our yearbook just to have him. Or no way we can't just, you know, do a play and not culture appropriate other cultures such as Native Americans or put on blackface and degrade black people while we're at it. No way can we cohesively live without tearing another race down. I remember at one session you came in and you were just so triggered. You were like, there are these number of images I've just seen back to back to back where I just kind of had to stop. How did you take care of yourself during this? I just had to stop. Like I was in the middle of research. I was going on like hour three and I was just disgusted because back to back to back, I just kept seeing it, I kept seeing it. And you know, I called my boyfriend and I was like, I'm just completely appalled at what I'm seeing. Like this research is hitting me hard. Like he had to come check on me. He's like, are you okay? I was like, I'm not because it just frustrates me seeing how they treated us back then and how they portrayed us. It's just completely unacceptable and it's really hurtful as a black woman today to see that that's how they viewed you. When you were looking at yearbooks, were there a particular school that you were focused on or area? I didn't have a particular area focus, but I just kept making my way back to Arlington somehow. <laughs> so Arlington... Yeah, I was I was shocked because growing up in Manassas, I'm 30 minutes away from Arlington. You know, I'm 30, I'm 45 minutes away from Alexandria, you know, high school and stuff like this. So I'm like, if this was me 50 years ago, this is what I would have to endure. How has this informed your work moving forward? It just shows me even forward that I have to push on to my goals even harder, not for myself, but for those who don't have the materials, those who don't have the competence, those who just literally can't do it for themselves. It just shows me even more in why I have to do what I want to do for my career, because I would like to be a defense attorney lawyer to help combat the bias and unjust of this corrupt judicial system that we live in that is nowhere near helping black men and women especially with our incarceration rates and death penalties and just unfair sentences in general so it just shows me even more this is why I'm doing it because if they can't have your back I have your back mm -hmm. you know black people 
has have to have somebody represent them as a voice. We have to have ourselves stand up for ourselves. We can no longer wait for somebody else to come and save us. We have to save ourselves because every time we rely on a bill, every time we rely on a sentence, an indictment, every time we rely on somebody else to come and save us, they let us down like they did the time before with no intention to even do what was remotely right. Since you got me ready to stand up. <laughs> I'm, I'm fired up. <laughs> you know, to, to hear you ladies talk about the inspiration behind this because it was it was scary for us to create this out of nowhere mm -hmm. and not know what the reaction was going to be from you all but to see the strength that you've been able to pull in this has been more than inspiring and motivating to myself as well tell us more about what you would want the people to hear from you after this project as a young black woman, as an HBCU student, as a future leader, what do you wanna say? I wanna say this is your wake up call. It's not okay to say we didn't know anymore. It's not okay to say, well, you know, we don't know if it's an allegation or it wasn't there. This is your wake up call. Now that you have the information, let's do something with it. You can no longer say you're ignorant. I just want to let people know Let's move forward. Let's not be stagnant. Let's not have something in front of our face and then turn the blind eye as we do so many times. Mm. Let's make change. Let's do what we say we want to do. Put your actions where your words are. Well, and how can the people follow you, Janice? Well, the people can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. My Facebook is my name, Janice Jefferson. So capital J-A apostrophe capital N-E-E-S-E -E -E, Jefferson. My Instagram name is Miss underscore talented underscore just MS, not M-I-S-S. -S, you know, some people get confused. And then my Twitter is is at Janice Jefferson. Well, Jefferson, there's no N at the end. So <laughs> we'll definitely want to keep up with you. And everyone listening, you've been warm. This is your wake up call. It's your wake up call. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode with these amazing women, these voices oh, that were included yes. in this HBCU fellowship that just kind of came out of nowhere uh, <laughs> blessed us really yes. yeah it really has any last thoughts i just can't wait to see where they go i just can't wait to see where where these new young leaders will shape the future of where virginia goes i can't wait for other young black minds to be interested in this type of research mm -hmm. right understanding racial narratives within higher educational artifacts and that sort of thing we need to be questioning and how do we preserve and tell our history why not put that in the hands of black youth yep yes ma'ams all right it. well to continue this conversation hit us up across all social media at rva dirt or at race capital um and fran take us out you know thanks for listening to this two hour special you can catch it on our podcast after the show yep we got podcast platforms find it it's easy yep and as always flint still has dirty water Damn it. RPS is kind of fully funded, we think. We got a budget that says it is. We'll see what happens. Happens. And Richmond is most certainly still racist, but we're working on it. Talk to you guys next week. Leave, leave.